0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this episode, we're going to discuss Taglit Birthright Israel and how it engages young Jewish people with the state of Israel. We will look at my experience as a participant over 16 years ago and as a staff member up until the recent pandemic, the incredible impact that this is having on the Jewish diaspora and Israeli economy, and the controversy of the program itself. Let's get into it. For those of you who are unaware of what Teglit Birthright is, it's a program that was created a number of years ago to try and engage young Jewish people in the diaspora with the state of Israel. Many people who were living in the diaspora really had very little connection to Israel and didn't really know much about it. And a number of philanthropists try and find ways to engage these young people with a TRIP. These trips are usually 10 days where young Jewish people are able to go and explore Israel, the various facets that makes it an amazing country, and be able to meet other fellow Jews along with Israelis and learn sort of what it is to be an Israeli today. About 16 years ago, the topic of birthright Israel was one you would never really hear in the Jewish community. It was fairly new I believe it was two thousand and six. So it was only around for a few years at this point. And someone approached me and told me about this, you know, trip to Israel and that it's free. Uh, i'll I'll be honest, i'm I'm kind of the typical diaspora Jew where, you know, I grew up in a culturally Jewish area. wasn't very religious. Most of my friends weren't very religious. i I knew of a country called Israel. I really had very little interest in going. It was really interesting because I remember specifically landing in Israel. And saying to myself, "Okay, just nine and a half more days and then I get to go home. I really honestly didn't care to be there. It was, you know, something that I kind of got convinced to do, but really wasn't that interested. That was for about 24 hours. Uh, Once I landed, got off the bus and started learning about the history, something that I've always been interested in, it blew my mind how much information there was to learn And from that moment forward, I it really changed my life. I tried to absorb every possible piece of information from my tour guide. I learned so much that I had no idea about my own history and the history of my people. By the time my trip ended and my life had been essentially changed, I honestly was feeling like I needed to go back. I actually did go back pretty quickly afterwards to go and explore on my own. For anyone who has gone on the birthright Israel trip, you realize it's like a a crazy whirlwind where you sort of get a little taste of every aspect they can they can try and give you. But you don't really get to go in depth too much into any one particular thing. And I spent a month in Israel just exploring and learning as much as I could, visiting places I hadn't seen the first time and going back to places I already had seen. Being a lover of history, one cannot understate How incredible of a country this is that there is so much history around. And finally, when I returned home, I really felt that I needed to continue my learning. I actually ended up trying to do some studying on my own. And eventually I got into university to study Jewish history and biblical studies because I just couldn't get enough information. A number of years later, I ended up meeting with some people from Birthright who suggested that I try and lead trips, and I always wanted to give back to the same program that had changed my life in such a dramatic way. As a leader, I just honestly loved being able to impart some of the knowledge that I had learned and and wanted to know when I was in Israel. I took really a great pride in trying to connect these young people to the state that I had once been connected to by my leaders, and... One of my goals was always to get to know my participants as best I could in order to try and make sure that they were able to see the side of Israel that would most interest them. And I felt honestly that I was able to relive my first experience in Israel through them. I got to see the tears at the Western Wall. I got to really honestly get to see the amazement on people's faces when they got into the Dead Sea for the first time and could float. One of my most memorable moments, which honestly, I don't think I ever would have expected, was when you go to the Western Wall, anyone who's been there knows that there are very often on the men's side, a group of men who are trying to ask if you'd like to put on tefillin. And I remember specifically, these guys are very, very good. If you've ever been there, you know, they can pick you off from a mile with your uh, Taglit name tag. This man comes out and he's a very cheerful and happy and excited man. And he says, hey, Mike, hey, Mike, he could see and he can read my my tag. And at first it was kind of off putting. I didn't realize, like, does this man know who I am? And then I realized he had read my name tag. But he asked me, he's like, oh, you're here on Birthright. How's it going? How's your trip and how are your participants? And I said to him, like, look, you know, I, I enjoy it. I love teaching. You just never know. Until after the fact, how you've affected your participants, if they're really getting it, if they're really enjoying it, uh, you know, making it as best an experience as it could be. And he told me a story that has never left my mind. And he said there was a a very famous incident with the Rebbe from the Chabad sect. And the Rebbe went out once to speak in front of a crowd and uh, someone had to break the news to the Rebbe that unfortunately only one person showed up and, and you know, maybe it's not worth going out and speaking and the Rebbe apparently said, I'm not only speaking to this person, I'm speaking to this person and their children and their children's children. And I don't know why in that moment, standing at the Western Wall in front of this amazing, amazing place, uh, I broke into tears because it affected me that I, I realized sometimes that I had been leading, you know, let's say hundreds of, of people to to Israel and reconnect them with their Judaism and and, and with the state. But I never thought of the long-term impact that I'd be having on the Jewish community as a whole. That's a very awe-inspiring feeling, and that story has never left me. I remember it to this day. I'm even really proud to know that some of my participants who've been on my trips have actually gone on to become leaders themselves. And unfortunately, as I am passing on the torch to them, I know that the impact I've had on them is going to continue to people that they will lead. And honestly, I, my heart is full When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the funding for this amazing program and maybe some cool facts that some people don't know about the Birthright Israel program when the Jewish Diaspora Report continues. Most people are very confused when they hear that there's a free trip to Israel. You know, it is a very confusing idea that you can get a free trip. Many people think, what's the catch? Are they going to try and convert me to something? Are they trying to sell me something? And so we'll talk a little bit about the funding as to where it comes from. 68% of the funding for Birthright Israel trips comes from worldwide donations. So that's from very wealthy philanthropists. That's for people who want to do small-dollar donations. These donations could be made by these philanthropists for various reasons, either their support for Israel, the Israeli economy, for Judaism, and making sure that the next generation appreciates and supports the Israeli state. The second largest place where funding comes from is the state of Israel itself, of course. Uh, 28% comes from them. They have their own variety of reasons, whether it is to help and support the economy, whether it is to understand that tourism starts by bringing you to Israel for free the first time and then maybe have you come back for a lifetime of travels and even maybe move to Israel as a citizen one day yourself. I know a lot of people do immigrate to Israel after going on a birthright trip. Some people study abroad. Some people just love the country so much and they stay. Of course, the first step is actually going to Israel for the first time. Four percent of the donations come from local federations. The last 3% is the Jewish Agency for Israel, who likes to seed friendship between Jewish communities separated by distance and bring Jews to Israel and help Israelis meet with Jews around the world. Some people may ask, you know, that's a lot of money. And I think the last estimate that I saw from 2019 was roughly $1.5 billion to the Israeli economy that the birthright program has provided Is it really worth the money? Is it uh, fulfilling its goal? And in some surveys, 36% of young Jewish people who went on the trip said they were more likely to get involved in their local Jewish community after coming back from birthright. 74% said that they had more of a connection to Israel after returning from birthright. And 30% ended up returning, like I did, to Israel after their trip. So... I think that a lot can be said from the testimonials that you will see from people who have gone on it. It not only affects the people and really changes their lives, but it also supports tourism, helps with uh, the economy and definitely helps build communities from afar and in the diaspora to connect with Israel forever. To many people, I'm sure they will say that that is well worth the money When we come back, we are going to talk about the birthright protests and how it affected the trip, how it changed the trip in many ways. We'll be right back after this break. In 2019, I was in Israel leading a birthright trip and we were given a little bit of a warning about these new protests that were starting. As a way of bringing up issues that were happening within Israel and the idea that some protesters had against Israel, the protests began to try and convince people to leave their birthright trip in order to go see what they deemed to be more important sites that were showing the unhappiness in Israel as a New York Times article said some activists have protested birthright saying that these trips erase the experience of the Israeli Arabs and the Palestinians these people of course would try and create a scene and bring media in order to try and promote their cause suggesting that the birthright trips were not the whole story of Israel and leave out some of the darker sides as they saw them. In my experience, I always noticed a very wide variety of Israeli views when we went on Birthright, not only as a participant, but also as a staff member. We would see the Israeli Druze. We would see Israeli Arabs. We'd even see a lot of Palestinians living within Israel. Obviously, there are some logistical and safety issues with the idea of Birthright groups leaving the state of Israel and going into the contested West Bank areas, However, there are a lot of ways that they try and engage with these type of issues on every one of my trips. There's always a background in Israeli history and the background of the wars of Israel that led to the refugee crisis. Participants are allowed to ask any question. There's nothing off limits. And the guides do try their best when showing things like the West Bank from a distance or Jerusalem or East Jerusalem to explain the historical significance to the Palestinians. Following these controversial protests, I have noticed a little bit of a change in the birthright planning where now there's definitely a little bit more of an effort to hear the Palestinian side in order to counteract the idea that it is a very one-sided trip. I have actually on many trips gone to speak with Palestinians and Israelis who are looking for peace in order to work together and heal the centuries-old rifts. Interestingly, the New York Times article also suggests that the birthright protests have highlighted a generational divide between Jews who grew up with the constant fear of Israel's destruction and the more modern younger people today who have just come to accept Israel's existence and really focus more on the Palestinian issues. Since 1999 when it was first created, things have been adapted and changed in order to reflect the current issues facing the country as well as the people who are coming. To think back in 1999 when this project first started and the first 9,000 participants left for Israel from their home countries, by 2006 when i had went, they reached their first 100,000 participants. And now in 2015 have reached over half a million people. They have affected so many people in so many different ways to better understand the situation on the other side of the world that maybe they weren't so interested in. Or worse, those people who held ignorant or uneducated views on situations across the world that they had never stepped into. As a way of ending this podcast, I figured I would share with you some insights from my past participants, some of the ideas and words that they used to describe their trips. Enlightening and transformative, eye-opening, lifelong bonds, life-changing, enlightening invigorating, connection-building, friendly and warm. Those are a few words that people used who were affected by the birthright trip. If you are a Jewish person around the world who's interested in birthright, I really suggest you take a look online, look up Taglit Birthright and see if you qualify. The trip will no doubt change your life in one way or another. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out as always on social media at jdr.podcast. We'll see you next time.